I think some are some are okay and some are bad and and very yeah. few are good. I, I I was you know I don't know if you if you'd feel comfortable, but I think it'd be interesting for a lot of people listening on the on the on the pod. Yeah, um, this is not me dodging the question. That's honestly a question <laughs> for our CTO. <laughs> Welcome, everybody. I am Jason Trost, the founder of the Business of Betting podcast. We're joined today by Evan Kirkham. He's the CEO and co-founder of Outlier. But before we get to Evan, I want to say a few words. I noticed that we haven't done an episode since May 24th, and I wanted to talk to you guys a little bit about that. Um, the Business of Betting podcast, I'm super excited to be the host of it. I mean, Jake did such a fantastic job building the audience, and I was really honored to take it over. And it's something that I've been very passionate about, but unfortunately it's kind of slipped through the cracks. And I wanted to talk a little bit about that. So each episode actually gets thousands of listens. Like it's, it's an incredibly listened to podcast and I've never hosted a podcast before. And one of the things that I noticed is incredibly difficult to get guests. I mean, you would think it's, it's an easy process, but you have to vet the guests, you have to pre-interview them and all these kinds of things. And I've been thinking about different formats that we could do for the pod. So I would love to hear everybody's feedback. So you can get in touch with me on business of betting, business of betting at gmail.com or at betting pod on Twitter. And I promise to personally reply to everybody that writes in, but I'd love to hear your guys' ideas. What I've been in the industry for about 15 years and, and what I thought was lacking in the space, which Jake filled that niche was intelligent talk around bet betting. Oftentimes, you, you know, you get Charles Barkley and Michael Jordan talking about betting and things like that. Like betting is very much in the popular zeitgeist, but very few people talk about what goes on behind the curtains and the scene and, you know, to have a place where smart people can get together and learn about the industry. And that's what I really want to do with this pod. But I'm completely open to shaking up the format, whether it's having multiple guests or different panel shows or, or different formats besides just the interview format. So I would love to hear from each and every one of you. This is not my full-time job. I have a full-time job. I'm the CEO of Smarkets. I have three kids. And so sometimes, you know, this is a, a passion project of mine and sometimes um, I don't give it the, as much time as I want, but I want to let everybody know that this is something that's important to me and I want to continue the work on this. So would love to hear from you. So let's pivot now to Evan. Evan, thanks very much for joining us. Yeah, thanks, Jason. Where do where does this podcast find you? <laughs> podcast finds me in Austin, Texas, where it's currently 96 degrees. So, okay. Yeah. Well, being, being the, the guy in France right now, do you know what that is in the centigrade? Because Oof. most of the world doesn't, I think it's close to 40. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that is, that is pretty hot and you sound, yeah. it's, it's always a, a dangerous game to guess accents, but you sound like a local. Are you a local? Do I? Okay. Yeah, I am. I, I wasn't born in Texas. It's kind of a black mark on my Texas resume, but okay. I grew up in Dallas. I've been living in Austin the past three and a half years. So yeah, I'm a, I'm a proud, I'm literally wearing a cowboy shirt right now. So I'm pretty proud. Texas. <laughs> and what's, what's the vibe in Texas these days? What's, uh, what's just generally or with sports betting? <laughs> no, the in general vibe is great. I mean, it's like, so yeah, here in Austin and, and this is true across the state. I mean, it, there are just hordes and hordes and hordes and hordes of Californians and New Yorkers and kind of, you know, everyone from the, the, the coastal states pouring in. So the economy's booming. People are happy. Art scene's hot. Tech scene's hot. 
still haven't gotten them over the finish line on sports betting, which is a whole separate topic, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a really cool place to be right now. And uh, yeah, again, proud texting here. So I saw, I saw an article the other day about how, you know, historically, I think California used to get the most net immigration and now it's like the six Southern states, including Texas. So, you know, I had a friend of mine recently moved to Austin and she said it was booming. Like, ha have you know, have, have prices gone crazy or it's still affordable compared to LA and New York? Yeah, home, still affordable compared to LA, LA and New York. Home prices are, are creeping up. Average rent for like a, well, that's home prices. Average rent for like one bed, one bath right now, apartment, I think it's like 1950 or 1850. So like that's getting more and more pricey. But the thing that Texas has is a ton of land. So like you can just move one more suburb out and, and get a really good deal. And not to put you on the spot, but I know the Republicans like to make a big deal about the border issue. Like, is, is it as bad as like a lot of people say it is? Or what's it like being in, a Texan in Texas? Yeah, yeah. I think I've got some official numbers on this. I think in the last three years, it's about 7 million immigrants that have come through undocumented. So I don't really feel, to be honest, I don't feel it as much here in Austin. But if you get closer to the border towns like Brownsville, even down in San Antonio, Eagle Pass, kind of everything along what they call the, the valley, the Rio Grande Valley, the, yeah, it's actually a big issue down there. Like those small towns don't really have the infrastructure to handle an additional 200,000 people in a month. They just don't. And so those towns are being pretty overwhelmed, just kind of like logistically. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm totally sorry to put you on the spot, but this is, yeah. there's another podcast I, I'm a huge fan of called the All In Podcast where, where these Same. California. Do you, you listen to those guys? Huge and they, fan. you know, they're, huge fan. they're they're all from California, and they were, you know, I don't know anybody that's, well, maybe I'm I'm wrong, but most people are not for an open border. But these guys in All In podcast, the one, the most recent episode, they were talking about how we have to close the border, but like, isn't it the case where literally it's too big and it's unpoliceable, or do you think it is policeable? I don't really have an expert opinion on that, obviously. Like I'm not a border patrol agent and, and I don't really, I'm not like a military guy. The border is enormous. To give you an idea, like to drive from kind of far Southeast, like Brownsville, Texas, all the way to El Paso, far kind of like Northwest. It's about a nine and a half or 10 hour drive. That's all along border. So, I mean, that's like, and I don't know how many miles that is, a couple thousand miles. So it's a ton, a ton of border, but there are like really kind of, I don't think you ever are going to seal it all the way, but there are specific kind of points again around like what's called the Eagle Pass where it's just a known channel of like hundreds of thousands of people coming through. So I think that there's probably a lot that could be done to like seal kind of strategic spots along the border without having to have some 2000 mile wall. Like, I don't, I don't know if that's, I mean, that's just not a feasible thing, but there's ways to police it. Yeah. Great. Well, thanks for being a sport. So why don't you introduce yourself to the audience? Sure. Yeah. My name is Evan Kirkham, co-founder and CEO of Outlier. Outlier is a smarter sports betting platform. We've kind of built like a Bloomberg terminal for sports betting where you can get all your kind of historic stats, EV plays. Yeah. We allow you to go end to end. So you can start, you can hop on Outlier and have no idea what you want to bet today. And you can go from, okay, I have no idea what I want to bet to I'm digging LeBron James 30 points to here's why to actually executing on one of the four major US sports books all in one kind of seamless flow. We like personally, so like I said, I'm from Dallas. Uh, I'm a huge Dallas Cowboys fan. I'm kind of like a 
I'm a huge Texas Rangers fan. Grew up playing hockey, which is kind of strange for someone from Texas. But what else? Yeah, I'm, I'm a former attorney. I was a securities litigator for about three and a half years and got to take four cases to trial, jury trial, bench trial, all of it. So that was some cool experience. I don't know. That's about it for me. Great. So when, whenever I talk to founders of, of startups, to me, it, almost the why is, can be more important than the what, like the, the reason that, you know, the itch that you needed to scratch in the, in the industry. So coming from the legal world and the world of securities feels quite far from sports betting. So what's, what, what made you, what, what's the why, what are you trying to do with your company? Yeah. So well, I'll get kind of like to the personal why first and then maybe the company why. So the personal why was, and I, I remember this moment pretty distinctly. So as sitting across the table, you know, in this like nice skyscraper downtown Dallas, I'm wearing a suit, like I'm an attorney and I'm sitting across the table from, you know, a guy, one of our clients who's wearing like a polo and shorts and sandals. And we're discussing his case and we're, we're you know, we're coming up on trial. And I just had this moment where I thought to myself, I'm like, from the outside, people would think like, okay, the suited guy, like this is, you want to be in his position. But the reality is I wanted to be in the, the shorts and sandals and, and polo guy position. And it's not just because like he is in more comfortable attire, but really because, you know, we were talking about fighting his fight and defending his dream. And I just thought to myself, like, I want to fight my own fights and have my own dreams, defend my own dreams. So kind of from a, I don't know, like meta level, like that's where my head was at. When I started thinking about the transition out of law and into something entrepreneurial, the corporate history is kind of complex. So before we had Outlier, we had a company called Colorcast. Well, same company, different product called Colorcast. It's actually a social sports talk app. So it's kind of, it, we actually launched before the clubhouses of the world. The idea was audio only, you get to be the broadcaster. And it was great. I mean, we grew it to about 10,500 monthly active users. We raised a couple rounds of financing. We were feeling really bullish about it, felt really great about the team that we had put together. But in 2022, we had this moment, and this turned out to be kind of the most like clairvoyant moment for the company, but this moment where we realized that unless you're a, gen a revenue generating business, you're not going to survive this new kind of economic regime. And so we hard pivoted into the sports betting space, which we had got familiar with because we were already doing consumer sports tech. And we found the niche and, and we've been growing and growing and growing and, and really helping intermediate to advanced sports bettors become even more confident about their, their plays. Um, and yeah, so that's, that's what we built and that's kind of why I did it and, and we're doing it. So is it, I mean, it, it almost sounds like an evolution rather than, you, you know, you set out to do sports betting. It seems like you wanted to do, you wanted to a do something for yourself and then B do something in sports and then C sports betting. Is that kind that's of exactly right? About? That's exactly right. I, I wasn't like until 2022 and even still, I'm not like the biggest sports better. I'm fascinated by sports betting and like markets and I'm fascinated by all that. But yeah, I did not set out to build a sports betting company. I, I set out to build a consumer sports tech company. And the opportunity, especially the revenue generating opportunity, is very much in the sports betting space. So that's sort of where we kind of went over time. Uh, but yeah, the, the pivot was a super hard decision, but happy we made it and not really looking back 
When I founded SmartKids, I think I was 26 and the financial crisis just happened. And I, I remember watching CNN or whatever, and you know, just the markets are crashing. And you know, obviously you never set out to start a company during the recession. And within, with the benefit of hindsight, I realized that you know, starting a company after a crash or during a crash is one of the best times because it teaches you to be hungrier, hungrier leaner, leaner, scrappier. Things are cheaper, cheaper people are cheaper. The flip side is it's a lot harder to raise money because people are being careful with their cash. So like right now, I, I think it's kind of a double-edged sword in this industry. Like the, I, I don't know if you want to call it like sports betting wave 1.0 in the U.S. is kind of coming to an end. A lot of the hype has died down. And I've heard from a lot of insiders that, I mean, there are there are a lot of startups in the space, but the energy and passion is not there. For, sorry, the let me put it a little bit more factually. The the funding is not there for startups to kind of enter the space. Like the the hype cycle has kind of died down. Where, how do you see yourself in the ecosystem? Do you think you're getting kind of squeezed by market forces or do you see this as like a gift time for you to be a, a startup? This is not me just like, I didn't come on here just to like shill our own product and like our business decisions and all this. And actually first, let me start by saying, you're very, I know you're an all-in guy because you're very much like channeling David Sachs and like the, let's start in the, yeah, let's start in the down, like get our unit economics, right? That's how we've started thinking about it in 2022. And I actually think we got ahead of the curve here. So we raised in 2022 summer, like honestly, about 13 months ago. So we had a pile of cash and we knew our, our theory was this might be the last pile of cash that we get. And so our whole idea was let's pivot now and let's pivot really hard so that by the time we run out of cash, we're default alive. Like we're actually turning a profit. We never have to raise again. That was sort of the thinking. Now, whether we raise again, it's, it's kind of in the air because certainly you can pour more you know, fuel on the fire or you need it for defensive measures, whatever. So I'm not saying we'd never do it, but the idea was let's pretend that that's our last VC check. How are we gonna be a default alive business in whatever that gave us 24 months of runway? And so that's actually what we're, we're, we're kind of like marching towards and have made some really good progress as, and I don't know if you, I don't think you asked this specifically, but like, I agree with you about where the sports betting market is right now. And I think it's, it, it is really, really hard for people to raise. And if they do raise, it's at a valuation that just doesn't feel good for them because investors are, you know, doing 20, 30, 40% haircuts on pre-money valuations. So again, you've got to be building like an independently sustainable business and think about VC is just super powering your, your efforts or, you know, accelerating your efforts. Not really like they, they, it can't just be like, you can't be subsisting on VC in this environment. And I, and I appreciate some of this might be competitively sensitive, but I, I don't know if you're willing to share what's your runway revenue, those kinds of things. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I will keep it a little vague here, but I mean, we're doing, so we charge $20 a month. We're doing tens of thousands of monthly active users. We, like I said, we raised about 13 months ago, gave ourselves about 24 months of runway. So you can do the math on that. Yeah, we think and we hope that we'll be in a really, really good position to either raise or make a determination that we don't ever have to raise again come kind of late fall this year. So let's pivot to the product. So you mentioned, is that your main business model, your 20 pounds a month? Or do you get a, do you clip the ticket when you send the order to one of the four sports books or, or why, why don't you get into the business model of your product? Yeah. Yeah. It's actually super simple. 
20 bucks a month or $200 a year. That's the only revenue that we're generating right now. There's a lot of like, we could go generate affiliate revenue. We don't want to do that for a number of reasons, not the least of which is it feels like there's some fundamental miss, like our customer is the better and the betters have gotten really good at sniffing out like promo deals and affiliate fees, structures and all of that. And so we don't actually want to like confuse who the customer is by saying, hey, sign up for this sports book, sign up for this sports book, all of that. We see some folks in our space doing that and it's probably good money. But again, we don't want the betters to be like, oh, they're super aligned with the books because our chief mission is to make the better more confident, not the books more money, I guess. So we don't want that to get confused. And then the other thing too is, like I said, we're servicing like an intermediate to advanced sports better. And in my, my theory here, and this isn't like 100% true, but my theory here is by the time you get to Outlier, you probably already have FanDuel, DraftKings, Caesars, MGM. So I just don't know how much like juice there is to squeeze there. So yeah, it's 20 bucks a month. That's it. And do you do it in official partnership with those sports books or, or do you find your own way to connect to those sports books? We do. Yeah, we've got partnerships with the, the, the four majors. So I'm still sending them bet volume and I could turn on the affiliate thing tomorrow. Like I said, there's just like philosophical and brand alignment reasons why I'm not doing it. Okay, so what makes somebody want to dish out 20 bucks? Is it the price comparison? Is it your stats? What, what's the hook? I think that there are two. Well, the hook is actually the insight. So we'll show you things. We have a whole feed. You can scroll through it like a Twitter feed, a whole feed of sports betting insights. So they'll say things like, in the last 10 games, on the road, after a loss, when guarded by Kawhi Leonard, LeBron James has gone over 30 points nine out of 10 times. And you can see right there, the LeBron James over 30 point market is available on these four books at this price. So it really helps you ideate. That's the hook because you can go from, I don't even know what games are on tonight to like immediately feeling very confident about LeBron James over 30 points. So that's the hook. The two main value props in my mind are actually kind of once you get past that, the first main value prop is just the deep, 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 deep stat. So all right, like I'm going to start researching that LeBron James 30 points. We'll show you everything. Like how many times has he hit that in the last five games, 10 games, 20 games, this entire season, all of last season. We'll let you filter things like, we'll let you filter like, okay, what if Anthony Davis isn't on the court? What if LeBron gets load managed? Like how is he performing now? What is the Lakers offense versus the Clippers rebounding defense look like? All sorts of supporting stats. So you can go really deep and that's, that in and of itself is worth the 20 bucks a month. But then the second piece, and I think that this is honestly kind of cooler, is once you've gone through all your picks, you're like, all right, I want the LeBron 30 points. I want the Lakers money line, whatever. I tee up five or six of them. They live in a section of our app called My Picks. Then with one click, you can, or two clicks, I should say, you can check out on FanDuel, DraftKings, MGM, and Caesars without having to go to the book and rebuild your bet slip. So it's the analysis piece that's really compelling. And it's that efficiency gain when you check out. It's like right now, out, if you're not using Outlier, what you're doing is you're researching in one place and you're rebuilding on the books. We're saying, no, no, no. The second you're done researching, just check out. And that efficiency gain is, is, has been really, really big for us. And, and so are, is the bet happening on your site or you're redirecting it with a pre-filled bet slip? That, the second. Redirecting okay. with a pre-filled bet slip. So it's like kayak when you say, I think exactly. kayak used to do this. Yeah. Okay. That's exactly. Redirected. 
I introed yeah. by saying we're the Bloomberg of sports betting. I regularly will also say we're the kayak of sports betting. <laughs> yeah. Are you the Uber of sports betting? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Not, I'll find it. Yeah. The chat GPT of sports betting. <laughs> oh, AI. Okay. Speaking of AI, where like do where do these insights come from? Do you have a team of sports writers that are kind of trolling through these things? What's what's the what's the unlock there from? Yeah. I get out a, a little out of my like top technical depth here, like super quickly. I'm a lawyer, if you remember, but we, uh, that. Yeah, 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 I got out, but no, we, I mean, we have sport data providers, right? You probably know all of them, the big sport data providers, but then we take the data they give us, we run it through our own kind of like ingestion engine and we automatically spit out the insights. So we don't have someone like sitting there writing. We just know from one API. Okay. Here's how many points LeBron scored in the last 10 games from another. Here's how he does when it's Kawhi. From the sports books, okay, here's what price it's all available at. And then we can, and then we kind of score it, and then pre, and then package it and present it. So, since this is a podcast for insiders, you know, for people that are within sports betting, maybe it might be interesting to give your opinions about the different sports data providers because I certainly have them. I, I think some are some are okay and some are bad, and and very few are good. I, I, I was, you know, I don't know if you if you'd feel comfortable, but I think it'd be interesting. For a lot of people listening on the on the on the pod, yeah, this is not me dodging the question. That's honestly a question for our CTO because I have some I have like personal relationships with some of the data providers, but like to be honest, I couldn't even tell you how the the tech hooks up so and how like clean the data is and all that. That's just like totally out of my wheelhouse. We work with Sport Radar primarily, and I've got a really good relationship with the folks over there. And I mean, like, yeah, get drinks with them, like negotiated the deal a couple times over with them. So we've got a really good relationship with them, but yeah, we also, you know, have a good relationship with RotoWire. We know the guys at Genius. We know the guys at SportData.io. We know L Sports. We know Quarter 4, EV Analytics. We know them all. And we've, I'm also a part of a lot of the like trade groups. So I, I do all the conference hopping and all that. And as you probably well know, that's just like a sport data provider feeding frenzy. So I, a lot of people buy me drinks and I get to make a lot of friends when I go to those. So. <laughs> As somebody that, I mean, I'm, a, I'm probably five years out, but when I went deep in the sports betting data, it, you would be amazed on, generally speaking, how bad the quality is. And it really varies not only from provider to provider, but from sport to sport. Um, and I don't know, like Sport Radar, for example, like they have completely different APIs depending on the sport. And I don't know if they've made it better, but there's a lot of, you know, you can kind of see these companies were sort of roll-ups from different, you know, individual companies that did individual sports. And a lot of these sports data companies haven't done the work of trying to, what's the right word, harmonize their APIs and clean up their APIs. And, and the, the data is in, in quite messy state. It's also, the unfortunately, the data is also getting messier from the perspective of rights. Like data rights is kind of a, a, a huge new part of data. You used to be able to just go to one and get data for them all, but now all these private equity companies are kind of buying into the sports data and, and sports leagues. And, and, and so like, if you want Premier League data, you need this provider. If you want Champions League, you need this provider. If you want US horse racing, you need this provider. So it's kind of becoming, it's getting worse, not better, unfortunately, the sports data field. Yeah. Like I said, I wish I had a more thoughtful opinion on this. I, I've kind of, I'm well, not kind of lucky. I'm very lucky. Our engineers, especially two of the guys on the team, are kind of 
backend AWS cloud kind of data engineering savants. And so I think that whatever complexity was there, they cleaned by the time I see it. So it just works. Cool. So let's talk about some of your competitors, you know, the action networks of the world, the unabated of the world, like who, who are your natural competitors? Yeah. So I think we do something a little different than everyone out there, but I mean, I can kind of paint with pretty broad, pretty broad strokes here. So yeah, action network for sure. Props.cash. They're another one in the space. They do something similar to us. I don't even know. I mean, at, like at the discord servers kind of, because people are doing their, you know, pick ideation and analysis there. I don't know. I, I, this is like, and this is not me comparing myself to Steve Jobs, I promise. But like, I, I very much like subscribe to the kind of Jobsian theory of don't actually don't focus on the competitors because you're going to kind of stop innovating. You're going to freak yourself out. So we actually don't spend a ton of time like thinking about where they are and what they're doing for us. Like we just know our mission is to make betters more confident. And so anytime we can further that mission, that's what we're trying to do. That's beyond that. Like, the sports betting space is enormous, huge, huge TAM. And so even if like, like we can coexist with action, they're obviously significantly larger than us and still have really, really, really healthy revenues and a, yeah, pretty good business. Even if we don't ever leap them, which I'm not saying is the case. Like I think we totally could, but yeah, those are some of the competitors. I think it's like, we're really targeting intermediate to advanced sports betters, whereas something like Action Network, they have like, and I hesitate to use this word, but I will. They have like a lot of kind of clickbaity content because they, they actually, they're really pushing like the affiliate signups because they get $200, $300 for a first time depositor. So they're very much incentivized to like rope in and cater to the novice sports better. We cater to like the intermediate or advanced sports better that has experience and understands like how to kind of manipulate the data. We give you a really great interface to do it, but like cares about the data, I guess I should say. So we're for like, yeah, a, a more data heavy better, but we bring it to you in a really simple UI with a really, really great UX. And uh, yeah, that's why people stick around and, you know, increase their bankrolls and just feel more kind of confident about the, the best they're placing. Cool. What's the status of sports betting in Texas and, and when may or that may not happen? Okay. It's not going to happen at least for two years, which pains me because it literally stops me from like fully demoing my product when I'm on a call. It's awful. I actually got the privilege of testifying in front of the Texas House of Representatives last session about this very issue. And that's why I was like, hey, I'm a small business. Like, I'm trying to grow my team here in Texas. I can't demo my product, make sports betting legal. They didn't, they didn't buy that. And of course, I wasn't the only one who testified. It was probably like the smallest fish there by a long shot. But yeah, the, the holdup, and you can read about this anywhere, it was the, the bill was introduced by a Texas, a Republican congressman, Jeff Leach from Dallas, and it had support in the House, passed the House, went to the Senate, actually had support in the Senate, but all bills go through the Lieutenant Governor of Texas, Dan Patrick. Dan Patrick, in my opinion, is going to run for governor when Abbott decides to honestly probably shoot for higher office. And it's sadly politically expedient for him to not rock the boat right now and passing the only people who are really opposed to sports betting here are the Baptists primarily focused in like North Collin County, which is North of Dallas and the bingo lobby, 
And both of those folks support Dan Patrick. And so although it's widely popular and would have passed the Senate, he decided to not stick his neck out politically because he's just trying to maintain his current base so that he can move to, to higher up to the governor's mansion. So he was he the guy he was just impeached, right? Actually, that's that's a, Attorney General Paxton. Yeah, he oh, was okay. the one who got I'm impeached sorry. on a bunch of fraud charges. Okay. What's crazy about that, here's the a little bit of the interlocking stories. So they're political allies for the most part, but Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick is now presiding over Ken Paxton's trial in the Senate. And so the question is like, how favorable or unfavorable is going to be with him? Does he try to like just cut him out of the party or does he protect him in the trial? So we'll see some cool stuff. I'm, I'm like, well, I just moved. I used to be like 10 blocks from the Senate and I swear I would have walked over there and watched the whole thing, but it, it does sound like some far. political fireworks. What's the TLDR yeah. with the attorney general? It did, like, did he do fraud or is it kind of trumped up? He's a fraudster. He, okay. <laughs> yeah, he like used funds to to hush people. He, there's actually this one story. This is very, very minor. He's an attorney. He's actually a former divorce attorney. And walking into a courthouse, sees a Montblanc pen go through the x-ray machine and steals it. Someone's pen. And this, it's like, obviously that's not like the impeachable offense, but it just gets in this kind of like, this dude just like steals stuff and lies and embezzles and his wife's actually a state senator too. They've got a lot of power here, but even the Republicans understand and to some degree accept that he's corrupt. It's it's a weird situation. And well, I was really, I was pretty impressive, at least from the outside of Texas. I mean, I know Texas is, is kind of its own thing, but from the outside, it was crazy to see a lot of the Republicans. I mean, without the Republican support, the attorney general wouldn't have been impeached. Yeah, what is the lieutenant? they're ready to... They want it. They're in a good position right now where they can kind of like remake the party in whatever image they want. And, and, and I'm good on the Republican, the Texas Republicans for trying to clean that up. Of course, of course. And what is the role the lieutenant governor plays in legislation? Is it more of a soft power or is it a hard power play? It's a hard power. He gets to decide what hits the Senate floor. Uh, so so basically, he didn't bring it to he, the floor. So it literally, he just won't bring it to the floor. And this is the crazy part. What he said is he said that he's not going to bring it to the floor because it's a, quote, Democrat bill, which is untrue. It's sponsored by a Republican. What he literally means is that some of the Democrats will vote for it, which is just absurd, in my opinion. But and, and I'm a Republican, too. So, like, it's just I'm trying to call him where I yeah, call him out. <laughs> one, one of the big things that founders are, you know, the role of a founder is to have a vision for the future state. So. For, from that perspective, what's your vision for sports betting? Like if you were to imagine sports betting in, in 2033, how would it be different from today? Yeah. Okay. So one of the things that I think will be different is just consumer behavior. So right now, because we're in, I don't know, the first one, we're in the first, second or third inning of sports betting in the States, the way consumers are treating it is very much as a lottery ticket. Like that's why you see people taking these 15 leg parlays or relying exclusively on a handicapper. There's not much attention paid to kind of bankroll management, kind of sound sports betting. I think that that'll shift over time. So as sports bettors mature, they become this kind of more intermediate to advanced better. It's actually why we're positioning the product as we are today, because we think that that's the growing group over time. So that's one. Another one is I think there will be kind of like, again, this is kind of where outlier is, is this sort of like omnibook solution. So as we, do, as we see that there's like, there's not much product 
distinguishment or distinction between the four major sports books. I think they'll try to distinguish on loyalty points. We already see that starting to happen. But at the end of the day, the, the odds are, are really a commodity. So I think we'll see Omnibook emerge, emerging like Outlier, where it's saying, hey, doesn't you don't really have book loyalty. Just research your bet and find the best odds. And maybe you have a global balance across all the books, right? And you can execute bets kind of straight from a platform like ours. I think we'll see that emerge in the next five, 10 years. Maybe we'll be leading that charge. But yeah, those are kind of two of my takes on it. In terms of one of, one of my big things in, in, in my vision for sports betting is that over time, it will look more and more like a financial market. And I think a lot of people disagree with this. I think a lot of people think of betting more like an entertainment, kind, like a movie ticket kind of, you know, you spend some time for some increased engagement with a sporting event and those kinds of things. I kind of use sports betting as an extension of the financial market where, yes, it's entertainment, but you're you're you know, underlying it is, is essentially a financial transaction and that as a financial transaction, people want to get better and better prices. So my big thing is that over time, price will win. I would guess that 97, 8, I don't know, like a huge amount of the industry disagrees with that. What, what's your stance on, do you think price will be a significant USP or not really? Yes, absolutely. I, I, I don't think it's going to be the only factor. Like I said, things like, I think loyalty points matter. There are things that we don't even know about yet. Like FanDuel releasing the same game parlay pretty much solidified their position as the, the top sports book. So there could be just some cool game type out there that has nothing to do with the financialization of sports betting that really kind of, you know, rockets a book. But I agree with you. As a general proposition, I think that it will become more and more financialized. Like I said, global balances, limit orders, puts, holds, like all of that. I, I see that happening. But I think maybe, you know, if we look back in 10 years, I do still think there will be the lottery entertainment betters. That's definitely going to exist. And in some ways, it's like the entry point to sports betting. So that'll always be there. But I just think we'll see a larger and larger share of these intermediate advanced sports betters that are treating it more like day trading and less like I love LeBron James. I'm hopeful that LeBron James will have over 30 points tonight. Therefore, I'm putting $50 on it. What do you want to be when you grow up? <laughs> I just had a really sappy answer, but I'm not going to say that. What do I want to be when I grow up? Pops uh, in your head, man. No, I, one day I want to teach. I love teaching. My, my grandfather was a, a college teacher. My dad is kind of on the path to become a, a professor. So that seems like the Kirkham kind of retirement thing to do. So uh, I'd love to teach. I love the startup game. I'd probably do it again if, if all goes well here. Or I'll just be a bum and go hiking all the time. I'm a huge hiker. I love being in the outdoors. So it was great. Well, you could teach yeah. outdoors. How about teach that? Teach outdoor, yeah. <laughs> so. Awesome. Well, thanks for stopping by. Thanks for entertaining my off topic political questions and teaching me about Texas politics. And good luck with Outlier. Cool. Thanks, Jason. All the best. <laughs>